we have come to this first Sunday of the Advent season. So many songs and hymns go along in this time. In the hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, the third verse has rank on rank the host of heaven spreads the vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day that the power of hell's hell may vanquish as the darkness clears away. Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. Another from a hymn that you may not be quite as familiar with. Fear not, then said the angel. Let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior of a pure virgin bright. To free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of comfort and joy. Of course, that's from God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. There's a comma there. It's God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Merry is not uh, an adjective of the gentleman. He came to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Another has, hark, the glad sound, the Savior comes, the Savior promised long. Let every heart prepare a throne and every voice a song. He comes the prisoners to release in Satan's bondage held the gates of brass, before him burst, the iron fetters yield. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the angel comes to Joseph and explains to Joseph what is going on. That the child that Mary will have is of the Holy Spirit. And since Joseph would then be considered the legal parent or guardian, the angel tells him, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And if we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 75, which this last hymn we sang is modeled after, Luke chapter 1, verse 75, as Zacharias is proclaiming the prophecy of John the Baptist. I'll begin at 74, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him, the Lord, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, child, will be called prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people. How? By the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You notice verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. In our confession of faith in chapter 31, I'll read this because I know you're not all carrying a copy of it, though you should. Chapter 31 and verse 1 reads this. It's of the state of man after death and of the resurrection of the dead. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ, and behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved for the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. Two places, two destinations. Salvation is, is good news. To be saved. The word salvation means deliverance from the power and effects of sin. Liberation. Rescue. See, to be rescued, you need a rescuer. And what is the major effect of sin? The major effect of sin is the wrath and the fury and the fiery judgment of God, which in the end results in eternal torment in a place called hell. Sinclair Ferguson relates a story uh, from one of the royal family in England who asked the Bishop of Canterbury, do you believe in hell? To which the Bishop replied, why yes, it is in the Bible. The Lord Jesus spoke of it. To which the royal member replied, then why do you never speak of it? Years ago, there was a, an advert, a commercial, which featured a middle-aged man sitting behind a desk. He had a black suit on, black-rimmed glasses, kindly-looking middle-aged man. 
but authoritative looking at the same time. In his hand was a bottle of kaopectate. And a voice that was full of almost apology and embarrassment. He said, as he held up the bottle, I'd like to talk to you about diarrhea. And so it seems the topic of hell is in some ways a topic of embarrassment for many Christians. Yet how can we truly appreciate our Lord's incarnation apart from the doctrine of hell? We saw several hymns of the season mention rescue, saving, the power of Satan, vanquished, prisoners freed. Who is it and from whom do we learn almost all that there is to know about hell? And that is from Christ, the one who saves his people from it. And from the lips of Christ, we learn first. We see first the reality of it, the reality of hell. Though speaking a parable in Luke chapter 16, he lets us know that hell is an actual place. It is not a state of mind. In Luke 16 and verse 23, and being in torment in Hades. And so the rich man is in torment in Hades. And so we learn that there is this place of torment and that it is a place where no one can leave. In verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. If you notice the word torment, tormented, is repeated three times. It's also a place that God has made so no one can come from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus tells of the hell of fire. And then in verses 29 and 30, gives warning of the danger of the whole body being cast into the hell of fire. I said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you 
if one of your members perish, then for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Proving once again that we're talking about a location. To be cast into something means that there's a place to be cast into. In Matthew 13, in verses 41 and 42, he talks about the furnace of fire. And that is what he is referring to here as regard symbolically uh, to hell. And then if we look at verses 49 to 50, of Matthew 13, he says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25 and verse 46, Jesus said, These, the wicked, these will go away into everlasting punishment. And so those words, will go away into, denote a destination, a literal place. It's funny, when we think about these things, when Jesus says to believers, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you shall be also. We say, yes, 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 there is a place for us. But then when we say, hell is a literal place. No, no, it can't be. Non-believers have a place. It's called hell. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 25, it tells us that Judas went to his place, his own place. We can go all the way to the end in Revelation 22 and verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside, so the city, that's a place, it's a destination, a location, but outside, outside the city is also a location. Are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. It's not only a place, but we're told it's a place of torment, a place of unquenchable fire, darkness, everlasting punishment. If we look at Mark chapter 9, it is frightening to see the repetition that is given for us in those verses. In Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 44, it says, those who go into the hell of fire where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. 
in verse 46, he repeats that. And in verse 48, he repeats it again. Jesus said it's a place where their worm dieth not. It also tells us that this is a place for eternity. Perhaps that troubles more people than, than any other, but we've got one more that probably troubles more. But the idea of the eternality of hell. Let us be clear. The same words that speak to everlasting life in regard to heaven, the same word is used for everlasting torment. R.C. Sproul wrote, There is no biblical concept more grim or terror-invoking than the idea of hell. It is so unpopular with us that few would give credence to it at all, except that it comes to us from the teaching of Christ himself. We've referred to some of the Bible's descriptions of hell. It's a literal, but then we have to ask, what about these descriptions? Is it a literal fire? Is there literally an undying gnawing worm? Is there literally a lake, lake of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, torment, and all the others? <clears throat> well, sometimes it's good not to be hyper-literal. In fact, it's very good not to be hyper-literal when you read Scripture. Most of these references are symbolic. They say, well, aha, uh -huh, see, I knew all along. Uh, and he's gone over to the left. He's saying this is all symbolism. And some might take peace and say, well, symbolic fire is different from literal fire. But let us remember this. That these symbols are used to describe something worse. Something unimaginable. So we are using symbols symbolic language to point to something that is actually worse but our minds can't comprehend it because we've never experienced something like that and so they they point to an existence far more dreadful than the symbol can portray the symbols always point to a greater reality our lord uses the temple as a symbol of himself but he's greater than the temple. And our Lord uses the most horrifying symbols to describe hell. Just as John could not fully describe the glories of heaven, so also our minds cannot grasp the horror of hell. Two more things on this topic. First, the misconception that always seems to be so prevalent. Hell is not separation from God. In fact, much of the torment of hell is the presence of God. He will be present in the fullness of divine wrath. And so that leads us to the second thing that we must consider 
when we speak of this. When we speak of divine wrath, we're not saying a divine temper tantrum. Hell is not a place of cruel and unusual punishment. There will be no cruelty in hell. God is not cruel. As one put it, a cruelty <clears throat> involves punishment that is more severe than the crime. But don't be misled. A sin against an eternal God <clears throat> requires an eternal punishment. Coupled to the fact that in hell, people don't change from the way they were when they lived. You can see that just in the portrayal that God, Jesus gives us of the, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus, he, the rich man does not change who he is. His mind is the same. He's still expecting Lazarus and people to serve him. And those who, who pass on and go to hell, go to hell the way and mindset that they had when they died. And so in hell, they'll continue to sin because they do not change from what they were <clears throat> on earth. Now there's so much more that could be said and some might be thinking at this point, how can this be an Advent message? We want a message about the baby. We want a message about the wise men. We want a message about the angels. We want a message about Mary. We want, we want to have <clears throat> all happy things to think about this morning. But if you're thinking that, you would be wrong because it's not about angels. It's not about babies. It's not about making Mary. It surely has <clears throat> a school teacher friend from outside of New Orleans. And when Katrina came and the waters began to rise, she was in a parish outside of New Orleans Parish, Orleans Parish. And she and her father had to evacuate. It was at night, darker than most nights due to power outages. And as they drove on to find safety, as they approached a bridge, they found a police officer who was directing them away from the bridge telling them to turn around. Were it not for him, they would not have known that the bridge was out. Now you can stop at that point in the story. It's not so much that the bridge was out, it's what's underneath the bridge after they plummeted. The raging water would have led and assured and horrible death. Can you imagine the instant darkness being trapped in an inescapable capsule of death as it buffets you from side to side and fills with water? 
it's not until you know what you are saved from. See, to be saved from a broken bridge, that's one thing. But if they knew what was under the bridge, they would have embraced that officer with all the strength of their arms for his goodness in warning them. It's not until you know what you are saved from and not until then that you will then know the greatness of your Savior. When we say that he was crucified, died, and was buried, and we say he ascended, descended into hell, on the cross he descended into hell for us. And he did it in his body. And he did it in a matter of hours. He took eternity on himself in a matter of hours. And became our propitiation, our satisfaction, our restoration. See, it's one thing to save, say that he saves us from our sins. This is true. But in that statement must be included what sin deserves. See, it's not just he saved me from driving off a broken bridge, but he saved me from the plunge into hell that the broken bridge would bring. You see, it's not just sin, but the consequences of it. And so, my friends, you cannot rightly, fully, fitly, or truly, joyfully understand the coming of Christ until you understand why he came. And then it is truly and truly becomes tidings of comfort and joy. Let's stand together for prayer.